All right, we're back in. Screen Heat Miami. Yes. Back from Europe. Back from Euro. How's it feel to be back in, in the humidity? It feels unique. How was fall? Fall was great. Yeah? Yeah, it was a great time of year to be in Europe, oh, actually. Nice. I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, it wasn't too cold. You just needed a jacket. Right. And it wasn't too hot, definitely. One cool point, and yeah, I noted this when I was in Venice... Right there where Spider-Man shot. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit scared. Oh, man. Look yeah. at you. <laughs> yeah, but it's always cool, you know, when you're in places that, you know, you've seen the films and yeah. you really feel the presence. Right. Because they really utilize Venice oh, in yeah. a big way. So Yeah, for that film, obviously, it's very popular in the Bond films as well. St. Mark's Square. Yeah, that's uh, it's definitely a very cinematic city. A lot of cinematic things going on, though. Yes, yeah, we've got a great lineup today. Our special guest is the producer of the upcoming feature film, Critical Thinking, which stars and will mark the directorial debut of one Mr. John Leguizamo excited about this yes a lot of great actors in that film a lot of young talent it's a true miami story and it's uh it's getting hot i think it's going to be one of the one of the hotter indies for next year so we're excited to sit down and talk to carla and uh just kind of go through her journey well i have to say mr jl martinez did an amazing interview thank you Yes. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice time. It was a nice chat. We did it over at Hylia Park Studios, uh, where, where I uh, work and, and do some great stuff in terms of promoting the local industry there. And it was just a, it was a good time. They actually shot a few scenes of the movie there. So it was nice to go back and reminisce uh, about some of the stuff that we shot actually on the, the property there. It took place in the 90s. Yes, it's a late 90s period, which uh, we'll get into in the interview, but it's, it's one of those weird periods. I can't really picture it immediately when someone tells me the late 90s. Maybe it's because I was in high school, so everything just still feels contemporary to me from that time. Were you breakdancing? Not a big breakdancer, no. <laughs> no pop locking? No pop locking, blocking, no. No, was, up rocking? <laughs> I was more into rock music a little bit at the time, like alternative. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say something embarrassing. I used to be into Hootie. And the blue. Oh, man. I know. Only want to be with you. Darius Rucker. <laughs> Darius. You know his country stuff now? Yeah. Still he's... around. Dude, he's like making money hand over fist. He is. Selling yeah. records. More records. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was one of those guys. So that's yeah, That's more of the vibe. I was into hip hop more in the early 90s. You know, I listened to The Chronic, that kind of stuff. Yes. But, uh, yeah. The Rhythm, The Rebel, Without a Pause. <laughs> Yes, yes. Chaos One, Public Enemy. That's right. That's where our, our 90s. But apparently it is a period film now. Uh, anything, I guess, pre-2010. <laughs> Even the early knots are considered period now. One Man. thing you can't stop is time. That's true. It marches on. Yep. But we're we're here. Kevin Sharpley back from his European sojourn. <laughs> yeah. What was really cool about, because, you know, I did, first I did London. Then uh, Paris, Switzerland, Italy, which was Venice and, and Milan. But one thing that was really cool about going to all those cities was to see the behemoth that is the Joker and how that whole marketing and presence felt in all of those countries. Right. Strong presence. I had a, a really great meeting in London at one of the oldest cinemas 
in London. And it was really, you know, a unique experience because that was the day that the Joker opened. And to see it at that particular cinema, I think Spike Lee had a 60th birthday party there at that cinema, you know, back when he was 60. But to see the Wait, electricity. Spike Lee is 60? When he was 60, yeah. He's more than 60? <laughs> there you go. We were just talking about the times. He takes care of himself, man. You know, you know times. Wow. Talk about the times. Jeez. But, um, you know, to see the presence there at the cinema, the electricity and the feeling and the vibe. I definitely wanted to go and see the movie, but, you know, I was over in Europe doing other things, so I couldn't stop to watch right. a two hour plus movie but um just to see how the marketing transformed and it was different from country to country the verbiage the posters yeah. was really amazing yeah. you know every time I, I travel abroad you know seeing how media changes yeah around the world because you're marketing not only to a language but to a culture to a specific yeah. group of people that interpret things differently uh even though you know you feel like in the western world things are more or less the same and we digest content the same way but it's really there are so many subtle things when you're marketing particularly and like you said in europe it's easy to see it so much because each country has their own unique little vibe and ways that they understand things and take things in so it's uh, I, I love to do that too sometimes i'll google like the international posters for for a lot of movies and you see how wildly different they are from country to country it's crazy and they have to be because you market the wrong way you have one territory down gone. and gone yeah right. and it, it's the global marketplace is so important now particularly now international is huge yeah you know a film can technically still now and before it wasn't the case lose money in the states pick up international and they're fine whereas before, oh yeah it was all about the domestic yeah but if it doesn't do well internationally now yeah. you know you're kind of behind the eight ball that's that's at least half of your uh, of your revenue for the bigger films for you the know for these films. the big yeah. tent poles yeah yeah like this uh, one we're going to talk about joker yeah, yeah. Todd Phillips. Yeah, just... And for me, what was really cool was to see, because I think the biggest launch for Joker was winning at the Venice Film Festival. So we talked about that, a comic movie. And boom, there I am in Venice, and there was certainly a big buzz. It wasn't just, you know, the marketing and the material, but, you know, I talked to a lot of Venetians. I ended up actually interviewing... Uh, one of the owners of one of the biggest restaurants in Venice. So we had a lot of conversation about, you know, Venetian lifestyle and the people. And it's really touristy, a lot more touristy now than ever. At one point, uh, Venice had 160,000 people that lived there. Now it's you know, close to 50,000. But to hear how they felt about Joker. And of course, Joker winning at the Venice Film Festival and you know, how it has permeated throughout that particular city uh, was really just unique. Yeah. yeah. A superhero movie winning the Venice Film Festival. A superhero, I guess. Well, supervillain. We always say, yeah, supervillain, but based on comic book character nonetheless, an, an iconic one that's been interpreted on so many occasions yeah uh and and so yeah it is definitely interesting and i i did see the film uh but first before we move further this podcast screen heat miami is brought to you by oh that's right kajik multimedia cinevision there you go miami media and film market and chemical moving forward so joker i saw the film 
uh, after opening weekend, and it's it's. I, I was fascinated. I don't want to go into details on the spoilers, nothing like that, but it is uh, it is deep. It really goes into the psychology of the criminal mind, so ah. to speak, and from a very very hyper realistic point of view. It's not it's not a fantasy anymore. Yeah, a lot of people are one way or the other it's very polarizing yeah it's made a ton of money like you said it won venice over 500 million dollars yes no over 550 million dollars worldwide at the box office and a little bit over such a short amount of time two weekends uh but yeah it's it's been doing gangbusters at the theaters and it's got so much buzz but i think part of it is now the controversy of of treating this subject matter so hyper realistically particularly in what people are considering these sort of sensitive modern times where it feels like the whole country is on edge already and then this is some people are saying adding kerosene to the fire by Introducing this character again in such a hyper-realistic way. Uh, but others are saying that we need that, that this is great. This is cinema. This is what we're doing. And and it's really taking the comic book genre to a whole nother level. And so it was a, an interesting article recently in Vanity Fair uh, where a, and I'll, I want to look it up because I don't want to get it wrong. This is a, an interesting title that this gentleman has. He is a neurocriminologist. That's right. One of the leading and preeminent neurocriminologists in the world who uh, who teaches at the university. And he saw it. He's a British man, but uh, I believe he, he, he teaches at a university in Pennsylvania. Maybe he was at that screening in London. He might have been. Yeah, <laughs> he was visiting family. I think he went with his nephews or nieces to a screening uh, last weekend and just completely was gushing about how essentially the the film it, it can be used as as an educational tool for teaching how a mind that that is susceptible to becoming a, a criminal or uh, actually develops and how that happens and how a lot of it is actually reactionary uh, to you know to things happening to you and you reacting in this sort of violent manner and kind of leading to this life of crime and and he thought it was that the depiction was excellent and he he actually said he thinks you know Joaquin de- deserves the Oscar nomination for how how you know in his research he sees that personality in Joaquin Phoenix oh that's, wow that's how powerful it is well I did say when we talked about Joker the last time Joaquin was the perfect person for it he, definitely the front runner right now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He seems to have a tinge of craziness. Right. <laughs> he adds that tinge of craziness to all his roles. Whether it was research or maybe part of his own <laughs> inner thoughts he's working out, uh, he, yeah, he, he, he nailed it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 and it's, again, it's fascinating because it's a character that we've seen so many times now. Everyone was lauding Heath Ledger's performance, who did win an Oscar posthumously, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and then, of course, we also think of the iconic role that Jack Nicholson played yeah. in the Tim Burton, which is, I think, the first time we started to delve into a more realistic uh, comic book world. You know, the original TV series was kind of campy, I thought. Yeah. Uh, it was played more towards comedy than it was. Uh, towards anything that seemed more like real and yeah i mean that first batman and especially considering the times that it came out in it really was one of the first superhero movies Mm -hmm. that had more of a realistic edge because you have michael keaton right a more dramatic actor playing batman right you know not necessarily your typical leading man looking guy and his turn 
in that particular role in the Batman role was unique, especially for those times. But Jack Nicholson's turn as the Joker was unique as well because he added so many different layers, layers. to that character. Yeah, obviously a different role. He set the tone. He set the tone. To, you know, and I think that film, you know, uh, helmed by Tim Burton and then the the dramatic score by Danny Elfman right. just lent a certain level of gravitas to mm-hmm. the comic book genre that we hadn't seen. I, I was, I'm also a big fan of the original Superman, the Richard Donner. I thought that oh yeah, that felt to me like there was a personal connection. I where you know it's it's funny and I didn't mention that in the talking points, but there's been a, a recent sort of side controversy that Martin Scorsese thinks that superhero movies are not cinema; they're theme parks. But it's yeah, but this Joker turns that's it on what its I'm head. saying. Like and and. You know, coincidentally or ironically, it's based on one of his films, Taxi Driver. Right. One of the big yeah. inspirations, which, you know, uh, to be fair, uh, the, uh, the, the film also features Robert De Niro. And so the references are beyond obvious in the film. Yeah. Uh, and so it's interesting that he made that comment now. Uh, I think he was referring more towards Marvel movies. He didn't right. really single out uh, the DC universe in particular. I think he was talking more about sort of the, the Marvel uh, uh, sort of storylines. But uh, I can see how I think Warner Brothers has more flexibility with the DC Universe than Marvel has being under the Disney umbrella. Yeah. And you know what? This is something. This is huge news. Uh, Kevin Feige now. It is Feige, right? We talked about that. Yeah, we did talk about it. Feige, Feige, Feige. Yeah, but now he's the COO as well. Wow. Yeah, of Marvel. So he's taken over all the responsibilities in terms of the artistic direction. And that's television, the comics, you know, every piece of it. Yeah. So that's interesting to see that turn in the Marvel Universe and now seeing this sort of distinction because DC was having its moment trying to feel its way through. And they stumbled. Post Nolan. Right. They stumbled, but, you know, I think that they're picking up their sea legs. I think they realize that that's where they belong. I think, you know, they Batman versus Superman, that wasn't well received. Uh, but when they got into the grittiness of their characters, into the human, you know, I, I thought they also did a wonderful job, obviously, with Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. Well, yeah, Wonder Woman. That was great. Aquaman. Aquaman did really well. As, uh, and now with the Joker, which is doing phenomenal. And Shazam. Shazam did well. And Shazam. So they're, they're definitely hitting their stride. And then they hit, hit this, you know, dramatic stride. Yes. And attained something that none of these movies really have attained and you know doing well in the film festival circuit yeah that's g- giving them a soul almost and 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 getting away from this idea that these are just sort of um this tent poles as uh you know what scorsese calls theme park movies yeah so it, it i i really think especially with joker like you know you don't really feel like you're watching a superhero movie yeah i haven't seen it so i I'm don't not know giving it away <laughs> but well, i do want to talk about soul because critical thinking ah a movie with soul Great interview. Says it all. Yeah. And this movie took a while to develop. And I certainly wanted to get into that part of development. Yeah. Yeah. The the development of this project. And and you'll hear in the intro or sorry, in in the interview, uh, what how long it actually took to get this project going. And then, yeah, I'd love to to comment a little bit more on that, maybe in the uh, in the outro. That way we can understand really what that meant and really just kind of dive into that. But it's it really is a really special interview, a really special lady from the community diehard Miami fan in terms of wanting to build the independent film scene here and do many more projects 
projects in our community. So it was it was an exciting conversation. Yeah, heart and soul. Here you go from the historic Hylia Park Director's Room, Miss Carla Berkowitz. Okay, here we are. This is Screen Heat Miami and uh, JL Martinez, your co-host, here with the amazingly talented and lovely producer, filmmaker, Carla Berkowitz. Welcome, Carla. Thank you. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Yes, and I'm so happy to have you here uh, in this unique place because we're we're actually not recording this in our studio. Uh, We're over at Hialeah Park, and this is a special place in terms of your latest production. So special. I celebrated my birthday here last year and I just walked in the room and it didn't look the same but it did and it's so (laughs) emotional and we're so grateful to have you as partners in this production critical thinking really we are Thank you. Yeah, it was it was really yeah. great to be a part of the production and and have the whole team here and 100%. and yeah, it just it felt right. And it was right. It made life very easy for us. We appreciated the logistics were awesome. The place was amazing. You and Mr. Brunetti are so special and we're so we're so grateful and honored that we're a part of the same family. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a great team here. Uh, you know, and obviously Mr. Bernetti allowing this project to unfold and, you know, Vivian who runs the productions and Bobby who does all the technical stuff and, and everyone really works hard because, you know, we know how special, especially in this day and age, having a project like that here and stay in Miami. And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, but first, I'd love to yeah. take a, a step back and just talk about you a little bit. Okay. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's focus on you, Carla. Uh, what else is there to focus on? <laughs> <I'm> joking. <laughs> you are the center point of the entire Just interview. For now. Just for now. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and I moved here when I was 11. Didn't speak English. Obviously speak it now. Uh, and went to college there, uh, high school somewhat, and... My entire family is out there in Miami, but that's where I'm from. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then eventually you made the move over to Miami? Yes, my family moved to Miami. First they were in Cuba, then they went to Venezuela, and then right. they came to Miami in yeah. 1970, something like that, yeah. Yes, it's, it's part of that, that there's a wave of, of immigrants yes. that comes there into- certain waves in yeah. different, different years, came different people. As a matter of fact, Critical Thinking, the movie that we're going to talk about today, has, at that point in time, there was another wave of people coming as well. So it's just different kinds of people in different years. And I, I think, and you know, obviously that's that's what makes Miami special to me is that it is, and, and we've talked about this on other podcasts before about whether Miami is, is a melting pot or what I like to call a, a tossed salad, where you can see all the different ingredients still. I agree. I think it's all raw. Yes. Raw. There's no melting of anything. Everyone is exactly who and how they're supposed to be. Yes. Between salad language. Is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's always try to use that, that analogy. I'm going to change my... I'm going to rob you. I'm going to take it. I'm claiming that. Yeah. So it's, and it's fun and, you know, and it's great to see all those cultures and we still mix, you know, I don't think that, cause I feel like when, when I'm in Los Angeles, obviously there's a very strong Mexican community, but I, I feel like it doesn't mix as well as it does here, even though you see all the parts. Because they're, I don't think they want to. That's right. the thing. I, I think that they would be incredibly, I just, 
I'm going to add that just by coincidence, I just rewatched for the, about the hundredth time "Stand and Deliver." Oh wow! With um, Edward James Olmos, who played Jaime Escalante, the Mexican, you know, teacher, whatever, which is very sim- similar to critical thinking. So I rewatched it, and it's all about Mexicans, as you know. Right. And um, I think that, the, in, at least in the movie, and from what I understand about that community, they like to stay in their own uh, barrio. I right. Guess. And they like. East LA, right? And uh, and I don't think it's that way here in Miami. I think I think it's much more blended. Yeah, we're too nosy. We, <laughs> we always want to know what's going on everywhere. We are. And everybody <laughs> wants to know what's going on with us. So. Yes, achievement they call it here. Achievement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so you grew up in Miami, and 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 what sort of first inspired you? What did you know that okay? I want this is what I want to start to do with my life. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I didn't do, I didn't, I was, I was in theater my whole life since I was a little girl, even before I spoke English, (laughs) my whole life, musical theater. Then I was a director, you know, growing up. So I always had that in me, but I studied political science in college and uh, ended up doing a a completely uh, different things than what I'm doing now. Nothing artsy. I was working at the Anti-Defamation League in the national headquarters in New York City wow. and during the 80s when, you know, the world was dangerous and tough and I did that for 11 years and then I started producing fitness videos. Wow. So I've done almost 17 so huh. I'm pretty much done with that. <laughs> I did. Yes, that was like the Jane Fonda era, and I was one of the first as well. Wow. And I did about 17 of them, and from there, took a leap onto a bigger screen. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was your sort of foray into the entertainment and media space. Yes, it's pretty much similar to making a feature. It, right. It's just smaller proportions. You still have to get an idea, write a script, hire talent, make the video, um, sell it, distribute it. It's the (laughs) same thing. It's just on a smaller scale. It's on a smaller scale. Right. So, so what inspired you to, I guess, paint on a bigger canvas? I woke up on a Sunday morning and saw Tropic Magazine in 1998. And I think I showed you the picture and I can show it to you now with one of the characters in the movie and the a picture was of him holding a chess piece with his dreadlocks all over the place and the the line on the cover said chess in the hood and it said how an ancient board game helped these gangster boys get out of pretty much the worst school in the country which was Miami Jackson Senior High School at the time right. the F school it is no longer that uh and I read it, I read the article, and I, I, it got me. I didn't get it, basically. And I said, this, this is what? Like, this, this has to be a movie. Uh, so the next day, um, I contacted Mario Martinez, who is the coach who John Leguizamo portrays in the movie. And that's what got things started. Wow. So you tracked him down. Tracked him down. And and what was that first meeting encounter with him like? How did you pitch the idea that you... I pretty much said two words to him and to the boys that I chose. Trust me. Hmm. And that's all I said. And, and they did for 21 years. I haven't seen the film, but I feel like that's a theme. <laughs> 
I think you're right. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a really nice thing to say. That's great. And yeah. so, so it was trust me, that's all I said. Wow. And um, they said, okay. And it, it worked out. So. Oh, sure. And, and it, but it, it took a while because, I mean, you, you first encountered this story when it was sort of years. fresh. Right. And, 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 you know, we often talk in the entertainment industry that it takes a long time to become an overnight success. Correct. And I don't think that a lot of folks, particularly those who are new to the industry or just kind of go and watch films, understand really what that means and how much struggle it is to get to this point. All I can tell you is if you want to start over again, we could do like a back to the future thing where I could tell you that after the movie was finished and as I was going up to New York to do post, the boys sent me a text. I sent the boys a text. The, when I call them boys, it's their 30s something now. I met them when they 20 years ago when they were still in, at Miami Jackson wow. playing. So I kind of raised them. So they said to me this. Um, well, I said to them, I don't want to cry, but I said, you know, I just want to say that I'm I'm on my way to New York to f- to do the post production to edit and to make the the latest corrections and make everything's perfect. I'm so honored that you entrusted me all these years with your life and your story, and I don't know what to say. And so what they said to me is pretty much how we should start the interview. Not not that we're going to restart, but they said, why would a woman like you? care about kids like us for 20 years. Why? They should make a movie about you making this movie. And I'm like, I can't answer that question. I don't know why I decided to do this. Never have made a movie before. I don't know why. I just... I just felt like nobody else is going to go to bat for these boys. Nobody cares about them. Nobody. They just are literally left to the sidelines all of them, before them and after them. Right. During, in any state, in any place in the world. Somebody, somebody had to do it. And it, I felt like it, I wasn't, I didn't choose it, it chose me, because it got under my skin, because it's real people. It's not just a true story. It's a true story about real people that's, that are around and live and feel and Pretty much that's what happened. Wow. Well, I mean, it seems that, you know, we're talking about your, and I'm glad we started the interview where we did, because understanding your background, especially in New York and working basically in social justice type, it feels like that was what was kind of driving it, right? I was, I worked for the ADL for 11 years, like I said, and pretty much my job was to find bad guys in a way. Right. And uh, because of what those bad guys did 20 years, 30 years earlier, 40 years earlier, or 10 years earlier, or whatever. Hmm. And that to me was justice for the world. Right. My family as well, but mostly for the world. So you're right, there always has been a social justice part in me, and I felt that this movie, this story, excuse me, um, needed to be told because it just isn't told, ever. Other chess movies have come out, but this is, this has, elements of real life that you know needed to be expressed and shown and how you can use your mind as your weapon right yeah because essentially it feels like the chess is not the focal point it's it's a tool to get these kids focused on something 
and they all said to me, chess saved their lives. Right. They did. They, it just literally, it saved their lives. They were so consumed uh, to make sure that they got there before school to practice, during school to practice, after school to practice, because they didn't want to be someone else to get better than them in in a game that they already are amazing and they are ranked. And most of them became chess masters. Some of them were already by their ranking. So yes, it it confused in a way their mind that they had no time to go out and rob people or sell drugs or do whatever else all of kill you know people with whatever do whatever all the you know liberty city was doing at the time they didn't they didn't have the time and they got obsessed and it it they they also felt a a, a, some a, a, a kind of um partnership with their 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 chess player buddies they had to stay relevant in chess in order to play with each other and get better. Right. So they didn't let it go. And they saw that they were they were getting away from their circumstances. Sure. In 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 subtle ways and in and in very speak aloud ways, they were just changing and they changed. Yeah. Evolving all for the better. All of them. Wow. All of them got out. Yeah. All of them. That's not normal. No, not at all. That's that's amazing. Yeah. All of them. And a lot of it has to do with Mario Martinez, the, the coach who pretty much presented chess to them as a kind of sport, not so much as like something to sit down in a game. He expressed to them that all of their behavioral, you know, or their behaviors off out of school in their lives could be channeled into their minds right so that they doesn't matter if they were poor and latino or african-american or american or whatever right. it didn't matter their what what was going on behind the scenes or it mattered it equalized them yeah yeah, no, that's and that's beautiful. Yes. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yes. The only other time, and obviously it's different. You you mentioned sports that you know it seemed like at the time also, and uh, you know football seemed to be the only way out for some of these young people. And uh, yes. you know we've heard so many stories, but then again, you know it's something that you have to have a certain physical capability in you order. Can't just yeah. want to play. I have a twenty-two-year-old son who plays football for Colgate University. Wow, and. Yes, I understand both sides of that. He's been playing since he was a little boy, and he's not—he's graduating uh, this year. But you can't just want to play football, you know. But you can just want to play chess, right? Uh, you may not get to a grandmaster level, but if you stick with it, you don't need physical abilities, obviously. Sure. Mental abilities. And, and then we talk about gender as well, because, you know, there, there are also women and young girls that played oh my as goodness. well, right? Some of the girls that played with these boys were ranked higher. Huh. And um, that's awesome. Yeah. To me, it has no gender. It has no station in life. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what you look like. It's, it's, it's pretty much thinking 10 moves ahead. Right. Like in life. 
It's true. Yeah, and I think that that, that probably can prepare them for life even more than did. a game like football, which which like you've proven it did. Yeah, and it did. And these kids and this coach, that's that's spectacular. So I wanted to jump back to you know you mentioned it took almost twenty years to make this movie. It took twenty one. Twenty one years from the late nineties until nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, twenty nineteen. Wrapping production when December of eighteen. Correct. Yeah. So Correct. what what was it that finally got things really moving? Can you point to one single thing? Yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just uh, John landed in in our laps. John Leguizamo landed in our laps. I worked with one of the producers, Scott Rosenfeld, about 15 years ago on this movie. And it doesn't matter. Just we ended up going in different directions. And then three years ago, uh, he contacted me and said, you know, I, I have somebody that would like to play, play the teacher, play Mario. And th- when that happened, it went into overdrive. We started, we obviously I said yes. Uh, we started really just forming the team uh, as opposed to just people coming in and out of critical thinking life uh, and writing a script that we didn't like and we had to find another one and whatever we kind of just we realized that he that John didn't have all the time in the world and we just kind of had to just buckle up and do it right so once that happened and the financing came through and it was greenlit and all that uh, we it I pr- pretty much happened in three months wow so you finally had like a schedule, like we have to make it happen. It has to fit in this slot. That's it. That's what I said. If it doesn't happen, it'll never happen. So wow. it happened. Yeah. Wow. Someone once said to me, if you have, if you need something done, give it to not just a busy person, but a busy woman. There you go. <laughs> I can totally believe that. <laughs> so wow. all I can tell you is Gloria Vanderbilt was, nine, was 60 when she started her jean company. Really? So I don't feel like I'm far uh, away from that, knowing that I did this movie when I was almost 60. Wow. Yeah, starting when I was 40. That's incredible. Yeah. It's And it's such a journey. And now, obviously, you're su- at such an exciting point where yeah. the film is now in post-production or you're finishing and you're getting ready for that, that next step, which is... Selling it. Selling it. And how are people going to receive it once it's in the world? And we're living in a time now where the world, in terms of how we consume media, has changed so much, particularly over the last 20 years. 100%. So now, yes, you still have theatrical, you still have you know the film festival world, but now you have all these new players, the Netflixes, the, the big streamers. Which are allowed to win Oscars now, so that's Correct. the good part. Yes, and that's that's been a struggle within the industry. So, um, you know, this film, I think, is coming coming out at such a unique time where the entire industry is almost being turned on its head. It is. And not only that, when I when I rewatched the film a couple of nights ago before today, and I, I, I can't believe that we're still talking about immigration without giving anything away. Immigration plays a big role in the movie because these kids were not American, and uh, except for a few. But mostly weren't. And so, again, without giving anything away, it's the same themes. The difference between this movie and other movies is that there are no special effects. The only special effects are the boys' own superpowers. Each of them have superpowers to win against anyone, especially the boys who actually invented the game. 
the preppy, you know, boys who invented the game with from the famous schools and all that. Right. These boys that the movie's about, they each have their own superpower. How to win every time against other more seasoned players. They just use their intuition and their gangster-like fabulousness of theirs. Would you say street smarts? Street smarts, big time. I prefer gangster smarts. (laughs) I like the street smarts, especially from the street that they were. Sure. That they were. But it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, and that's part of the storyline is that they compete against these sort of preparatory schools that are getting ready to go to places like Yale and Harvard. And, but again, the game itself provides a level playing field. It's an, it's, it's the great equalizer of any equalizer of any game because it's not the same in football. I mean, there are no equalizers in football. It's how you're born with body type, whatever you are, whatever, you know, but it's not like that here. So yeah, it really worked for them. It really worked for them in, in a verb worked. I mean, it just did. It did what it was supposed to do. Right. Just. That's amazing. Yeah. So now I want to think a few steps ahead and then yes. we'll go back to it when Absolutely. it happens. In your ideal world, how would you like to introduce critical thinking to audiences? First of all, it's going to be a, a I, I'm hoping for a release, not on just a streaming service, but in movie theaters. That I don't even want to say hoping. That's where I would like to see it. However... I think I was mentioning to you before, I would also like to piggyback on the nine other years that the exact same stories, some of even better, did happen uh, of these of these boys. Some obviously every graduating class had their own style of how they won or didn't, because I don't want to give anything away, but pretty much that's how I see it. I see it coming out and then I see it piggybacking with a TV show, kind of like fame when right. fame came out and then had a TV show. And uh, I, I just feel that I don't have to do much. The movie pretty much speaks for itself. We do have, by coincidence, and it's a great coincidence, four... All right, four people in the movie? Four people involved in critical thinking were either nominated or won an Emmy this year for okay. their other projects. So we're very blessed to have incredible talent that worked on the movie. So I don't think I have to say much. I just like people to watch it once and see and yeah. get blown away that it'll speak for itself and it does. It feels like it'll be one of those positive word of mouth it's type of things. It's one of those yeah. things where people are gonna say, this is something that needs to be shown to schools and chess clubs and gangsters, jails, good schools, bad schools, anything for years and years to come. Wow. Well, I'm I'm really excited to to really see it. Uh, you know, obviously we were involved in the production yes. uh, with Hylia Park Studios, but I am so excited myself, uh, just as a fan, not only of film and cinema, but of Miami stories in particular. And just when you're from the community and you see yourself represented, uh, you know, your culture, your folks, you know, growing up in myself in a working class neighborhood and uh, knowing that we didn't have every advantage or opportunity, but you could make those for yourselves. Look, I, the interesting thing about when we filmed here and when we also filmed at Hialeah High School, because Miami Jackson is now 
looks like MIT, and we couldn't do it there. Obviously, good for them, by the way. Right. Um, three of the actors and one of the people that was portrayed went to Hialeah High School. Wow. Which is karma like you can't imagine. I mean, it just goes full circle, you know? So they were acting in the place that, in a, in the, in, in, in one of the classrooms that they actually attended. Yes, so it's really bizarre. That's crazy. And it's so funny, we're doing the podcast here. If you look up, it says the, uh, the Tea Bread Lounge. So that was, uh, that was a, another project that shot here. And, uh, you know, we I'm- We gotta change that to critical thinking. Yes, lounge. we will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is that connection to Hialeah yeah. Senior High, which is, I'm an alumni of that school as well. You are? I am, I went to Hialeah High. I didn't high. even know why I said that, but I yeah. just- yeah, that was that was my high school, and I always thought that it felt cinematic because it's it, it, it was such a, it's such an open campus, and with the windows, it, it felt like it was it it should be in something. It and it is, <laughs> and it is, and now it is, and I'm so excited that it's this so project. So yeah. because it really it was another. It seems like Hialeah, the city of Hialeah, including Hialeah Racetrack and Hialeah High School, just were very welcoming and incredibly accommodating, and I. I understand why. I mean, it kind of hit a nerve for all of us Latino or Latinx, as is now Joe, is now, uh, it's known as we're now Latinx, we're not Latino or Latinas anymore. Right, yes, and I'm, yeah. I'm still, you know, trying to. I'm still to... getting it, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is it Latinx, Latinx? Is I think that, it's is Latinx. It... Latinx, okay. I think, but that's just me. <laughs> yes, there you go. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is interesting. But yeah, it's, it's really great to see those kinds of stories and now given this opportunity and where all of this is going to go. Uh, so, yes. so in terms of, of you now, the next steps, I know you mentioned a potential TV spinoff, um, yes. you know, based on, on the film itself. Correct. Uh, is there anything else? What else do you see for yourself as a producer and a filmmaker? You mean my next project after this? Yeah. Um, I have a few that I would like to do. Okay. I have a few. I like real stories. That's my thing. I right. like to tell real stories. I, I feel like there's room for people to tell other stories, other kinds of people to tell other stories. That's right. fine. It just, for me, for it to make sense and for me to make a really good movie, I feel like the story needs to have happened. And I'd like to them to quote, trust me again with wow. respecting their, their lives and making sure that I portray. And I believe that to me, that's what makes critical thinking so special and my future and past projects have always been true stories. So that my next story may even be about my family. Really? Just may. Okay. Well, that could be interesting. Yeah. It's all about the Holocaust and both sides of my family and all that crazy, crazy stories. Right. That happened. So that may be one of my next projects as well. Yeah, and it's it's obviously such an important theme, yeah. you know, and it, when it's done well. When, and when it's, it's done well, yeah. and when it's true. And when it's true, yeah. Exactly. Which, yeah. You don't have I, to make anything up. No, it's and that's why, you know, we keep revisiting that time period of, the, I guess, what you call the greatest generation. Right. Uh, but, and every one time you think, well, we've already done so much stuff about the Holocaust and World War II or World War I, yeah. but there's so many stories. No, there's so many stories, and some are just, some are different. Like, I, 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 I will venture to say that my story is different. Really? It has other elements of other things that didn't, that didn't happen to other families that either survived or unfortunately didn't survive the Holocaust, but hmm. we did, part of my family did, and I believe that it's for a reason. Yeah. 
I don't want to say now because then you won't want to come and watch the movie, <laughs> but uh, it just it just has another element that didn't exist with other people. Right. Right. So that would that will probably be my next project after we do the TV series. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you the big question because yeah, obviously you're going to make sure. your film your TV series, and and this is a question I like to ask all you know folks that are from here that yeah. work in the industry. I'm going to assume this movie is going to be a huge success. You're going to have your TV show going. Would there be the temptation to move to L.A. or Never. New York, be part of the... I, I, as long as I am not part of the scene, I'm happy. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm not a scene person. Well, that's good. That's okay for other people. I'm just, I, I work better in a more of a real world, uh, more reality, and uh, I don't believe any of my own articles or press I don't read you know read and go well, that's me yeah I like to stay real and that's why I kept it here right and, and it's because I'm assuming because Miami's home right it's home and nothing else really is real for real mm. and I just no so the answer is I'm not moving right anywhere okay so now that you're here with us yes. <laughs> we can have a, a working conversation yes. so where do you see the industry going locally here you know we've we've had our share of projects obviously you know we don't have the big incentive anymore but um, luckily enough for us I think why certain folks are still hanging on is because of projects like critical thinking you know we had moonlight a couple years before it was shot I think the producer told me three months after the incentives expired and they kept it here uh, and Good so what do you feel is going to make Miami relevant in terms of the industry and keep folks here and working? So we kept it in Miami because there was never a question in my mind to move it anywhere and cheat a location ever. It just it didn't matter how much more money it cost because of the lack of incentive. My choice was to keep it in Miami. And at the end, we ended up doing great things by keeping it in Miami for people and for the movie, both simultaneously, and that's okay. You can do both at the same time. You can have a bottom line that you're looking at and make people happy and make a great movie at the same time. You can, but not everybody has that ability. Not everybody can, you know, allocate extra funds to keep it in Miami. They just can't it's a business decision or whatever you know right. I feel that um, the politicians need to stop being so political and bring <laughs> back the incentives because art brings incredible things to a community that you don't even know are are going to happen because of it it just art and culture brings out the best in people and shows different sides of people that you would never see. And if you would just allow that again, in a, especially in a world like today where it's so violent and so nasty out there, if you would just allow some culture to come back and not just allow, but incentivize it right. to a degree. Right. I think that crazy, great things can happen to a community. Yeah. And I just hope that whoever's listening to this podcast can just maybe take a thought 
about why. Right. No, you're, you're totally right. And it's, it's interesting that you mention uh, the cultural aspect, because I think we do see that the, particularly the film and entertainment industry as a dollar and cents. It's a business, it's a commerce, but it's also an art form. It's also a culture. And I think what's unique about film in particular is that it helps preserve cultures, right? That's it. And times that we're going to look back on maybe 20 years from now and say, look at what critical thinking did. Look what Miami was like, not only in the late 90s, but when they actually shot the film. Uh, because it was a horrible, horrible place. And that's what made right. the movie so amazing. Yeah. The fact that it was colorful, Miami, and dangerous. And it was going through its own... Uh, I mean, Elian Gonzalez was a little after the movie, but that whole... Th- thing was rising during ni- the, the late, late 90s. 90s, mid to late 90s. Miami was a tough place to be. Yeah. And yet in a, the toughest place of Miami, there was a tougher place. Right. And in that tough, tough place came these beautiful souls that changed that, uh, those 10 years, they, they changed the energy of that school uh, to the point where they looked at themselves even six months before and said, what was I doing? Look at what I'm doing now. And then they became buddies to other guys and the younger guys looked up and it just, it changes people. Culture changes people. You don't even realize it's so subliminal and it's so subtle. And I just feel that now it's either now it's binary do we do it or do we not do it can we afford it or do we just leave it doesn't have to be binary right no you're right yeah it used to be more about the story and what best fitted and uh and 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 yeah there there were times when you talk about color and and i remember they say similar things about miami vice where you know you're talking now about the mid 80s and it was all about the drugs in miami and you know it was either the old retired people on the beach or and immigrants were seen as you know drug dealers and people involved in all that nastiness and it felt like at least that show brought a freshness a liveliness a color Absolutely. And speaking of color, that's we Moonlight is also amazing with the colors. Our movie was we had a, a DP, Zach Zamboni. I'd like to mention his name. He won an Emmy for hmm. the eighth time for Parts Unknown. He worked with Anthony Bourdain for many for the, actually his entire career. And he was the DP of our movie and so yeah so the colors the way it was shot if anybody liked the way parts unknown or no reservations or any of the Bourdain shows were filmed come see critical thinking because that's how it was filmed wow and when you talk about true story the fact that he comes from that sort of docu-series world correct uh i think that there's something to be said about folks that shoot documentary and shoot true story they have this particular eye and that's what we we shot it as the docudrama kind of thing so uh very um very meticulously done on purpose that way Hmm. because it's it's not slick this is not a slick movie this is a true story right about bad guys who stopped being bad guys wow and became bad guys on the on on the chessboard 
Yeah, no, exactly. And it, yeah, and it's and especially when you're capturing something like, you know, you're telling this very human story, but even just shooting a chess match, and I, like I said, I haven't seen the film. To, I, I'm so excited to see, you know, how the matches themselves, and you're going into a game that's so small. It's not like a football field that's, it feels like grand. This is it's a tiny that chess you say that. We shot the movie like a sport, like I said, like chess would be a sport. Wow. So it really has no element at all of a small chessboard. It feels big. And I will not tell you why. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to tease you to come and see why. I love it. I yes. love it. But yeah, you know, we didn't get too much into the technical aspects of the film, but obviously cinematography plays such a huge, huge. role. Color and cinematography was huge for us. Yeah. And music. I was going to ask you, because the film does take place in the late 90s, which is interesting because, you know, I can easily just picture in my mind what the 80s, 70s, the 60s look like. I feel like the 90s, particularly the late 90s, I'm, it's hard to, it's very subtle. Yeah, right? but it came, the colors came alive. If you look at like clothing, for example, even shoulder pads got big in the 90s. I mean, everything was big, right. big colors, big Big shoulder pads, big clothing, big shoes. Sure. Um, it worked. And we made it work for us. And we stayed very true, very true to, including the costumes, which Danny Santiago, who was our costume designer, he also mm. did Sex in the City the whole time, Devil Wears Prada. He did all of that. Wow. We made sure that the costumes and what everybody was wearing was specific to a fault. We were lucky enough to get vintage FUBU jerseys from 1998 for the cast to wear as well. They wow. lent that to us. So a shout out to FUBU. Oh, wow. Good yes. for them. Yes. Yeah. And it feels like a time for me, at least. I was, it feels so close that you realize it's so far away, you know, because you're talking about two decades later. So, yeah, to go back, even in terms of, yeah, you're saying the costume, the art direction, the production design. Everything. Even, I mean, you know this. I don't have to tell you. I mean, even if they were wearing headphones made sure that they weren't the ones that you of the t right, of the time, right 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 yeah no no ipods or no earbuds yeah earbuds, right. walkmans and bigger things well, exactly, and i guess i'm exactly. trying to think what would be popular there maybe the uh well it was the cds, CDs and the boom boxes <laughs> and yeah. the boom boxes yeah. yeah so that's very interesting yeah, yeah and um, i remember here at highly park we had your art director here for five weeks and he was mark mark, mark was amazing and shout out to mark harrington yes. who was genius i mean he made this place look like 1998 Miami. Yeah, that's and that's a really hard thing to do. I don't think people appreciate it, especially at the budget level that you're working it, at. That's the thing. So uh, we used, again, I'm going to shout out to Damon John from FUBU because one of the best books he wrote was called The Power of Broke. And that's pretty much the, the, the mindset that I had. We weren't broke, but we, you have to act like you're, think like you're broke, and just get creative when you have a small independent movie budget, obviously, and that's what we did. Wow. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you one more thing. Please. Before we go, and this is something we ask a lot of our guests yes. is, um, if you could talk to yourself when you were just getting starting this journey, what advice would you give? How, old, how old do you want me to be? Because okay. I can go back till I was nine. All right, let's 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 first give advice to the nine-year-old and then let's say the version right when you were about to decide to go after this story. So what would you tell the nine-year-old first? So when I was nine and didn't speak English and was getting bullied in school every day, 
if you would have said to me, stop crying, little girl, because in 20-something years, you're going to be making a movie about kids like you who don't speak the language, that get bullied, on and on and on. And I would have thought you should have been in an insane asylum if you would have said that to me, but that is exactly what happened. So I would have said that to my nine-year-old self every day after school. But when I was, but 20 years ago, when I was 39, uh, the entire thing shifted when I saw the article in, on, in Tropic Magazine. And I spoke to the coach and interviewed the boys. That is what made a quantum shift in my mind to say, this is a chess movie that's not about chess. And it's about life and choices. And that's when it just, everything shifted. And frankly, I did nothing else other than have children. <laughs> nothing else for 20 years, nothing. Well, right. Somebody said to me uh, during pre-production, I can't believe that you brought this out again after all these years. And I said, I'm sorry, I have to correct you. Huh. I never, I didn't bring this out. I never put it away. It wasn't in a safe, the script wasn't put away on a shelf. This was a daily, a daily work. This huh. was daily work for me for 20 years. Even if there was nothing really, quote, happening, I made things happen just to keep it alive and keep the energy there. And so that's that's wow. the difference. Did I answer your question? Probably I think, not. yeah, no, that was that was perfect. Okay. The last part then yes. of that is, uh, let's say there's a young filmmaker, producer, even here in Miami that has access to a unique story. What advice would you give them in how to go about it? Tell the story. Don't worry about what's gonna happen after or if anyone's gonna see it. And make it for as little money, don't worry about finances, just work it out, figure it out. Be cre You're creative, you're a filmmaker already, you know what to do, so think like you're broke and get creative and make it happen and don't listen to noise. Wear blinders, respect the process, respect the discipline, embrace the discipline and just, just do it. Don't talk about it, just do it. I love it. So I'd like to say this is the end of the interview, but I wanted this to be a continuation. Absolutely. I want us to come back after Critical Thinking's out in the world, and we'll be back at Hylia Park getting ready for the TV version. How's Absolutely. That? And I'd love to bring Mario Martinez, the coach, oh, with me. Oh, that'd be amazing. So you could ask him anything you want. Like, how did you really win that? <laughs> Tell us the truth. You know? <laughs> so this is not the end. This is to be continued. Absolutely. With Carla Berkowitz. Thank you so, so much Thank for doing this so today. We really appreciate it. Me. It's of my course. pleasure. All right, we're back in. Great interview. Thank you. That was fun. That was really exciting to reconnect with Carla after, it was almost a year to the day where they were filming at Hylia Park. It was last December, I think, that they were there. How long were they there? Uh, they were there, they had a base camp there for almost five weeks. And Oh, their base camp was there? Yeah, their base camp oh, was great. there. And we also had, uh, yeah, shot about three, four scenes of the movie. I mm -hmm. won't give anything away, <laughs> but it's it was really fun, the, the sets and things that they built uh, at the park for, for some of the key moments of the movie. So I'm really, really excited to see it. And, you know, I really hope this film does well. It really kind of gets out there and, and starts to continue our buzz as an indie film capital. How's that? In Miami. I love it. Yeah. John Leguizamo, he's one of my faves. He's, yeah, he's a big star. And, you know, now between what he's doing, obviously, with this film and, you know, his Emmy nominations uh, and also his live show that's doing very well. He's touring all over the country. He's had his own superhero turns. 
That's right. It was in Spawn. Yes, yes. He's he's been involved in that world as well. So a <laughs> little bit of everything. He's done everything. <laughs> he's a when they um, see us. He's modern Latinx Renaissance man. <laughs> Is it like? Latinx, Latinx. That's what I, I don't know. <laughs> I always I, I get very You're very Latin now. and you don't know. <laughs> bueno, because porque español es latino, latina. You know, we I, I still I'm used to saying the the feminine and, and masculine. So I'm not sure if psychologically I'm ready to make that switch, right. the gender neutral switch, because <laughs> there's so many words in the Spanish language and in the culture that are specifically uh, geared towards one sex or another, and it's just mm-hmm. one of those things that you know, as a culture, we're used to. And and I'm not really sure if the the Latinx thing has caught on in Spanish language uh, countries in Latin America. I right. think it's it's a U.S. It's a U.S. thing thing yeah. uh, within the 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 culture and the diaspora here. So uh, it's it's interesting to see if that's going to catch on in Spanish or not. But I'm I'm not ready to <laughs> to let go yet. Maybe <laughs> need some more convincing on that one. Yeah. yeah but uh, yeah. but yeah, nonetheless, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be exciting to watch that unfold and and see where it goes next year. So um yeah, you heard it first. We've We've introed a lot of things here at Screen Heat Miami. Yes, and there's always tie-ins. Great track record. We had a a friend of yours that was on the podcast recently that also worked on the film. Oh, Dean Lyon. That's right. That's right. Your boy Dean. It stops and starts in the 305. Everything. Yeah, it's a one-stop shop. The 954. What's the area code for uh, West Palm? I don't know. 561. <laughs> 561? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And the 561 and every other area code. Right. We also have a 786. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know why it's 786, right? 786. It's S-U-N, wow. Sun. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. There was an angle behind it. Okay. Not just a random set of I numbers. I guess I'm going to have to get a 786. Screen heat fact number 105. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, that, that's something else. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was interesting. We, we were touching a little bit on Joker. I wanted to mention that there is a film coming out this weekend, which is slated to top Joker. As Maleficent. Yes. From, from the king of the box office to the queen now, and also a film that concentrates on the villain. Yeah. Man, people love villains. Yeah. That's another movie that followed me across Europe. The marketing that they're doing for Maleficent. It was, yeah. Every time I turned around, it was either Joker or Maleficent. Yeah. And it really hit me, you know, when I got to the airport in New York. Mm. Everywhere. Every screen. Every. I mean, of course, it's Disney. But, you know, they do this for the movies that are the biggest. Right. And also, you know, like we said, have the gravitas baked in already so you know every screen i turned around was maleficent every advertisement every poster so you know it's tracking really well yeah so i said it's it's slated to do about 45 which would be huge you know for this time of year in the fall Uh, you know joker broke all sorts of records for this time period but i think maleficent is also gonna gonna have a nice interesting run starting this weekend i'm excited to see that and i'm excited about something that was just announced. This is another one of my favorite, favorite actors or actresses, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's another one. Is it actress anymore? Is it just actor? Actor X. Actrx. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The beautiful, talented Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. Is going to play Catwoman. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. And she's, 
I I think that she's a phenomenal actress. Yeah. So she definitely has, you know, the. Well, I was gonna say cojones. Can we say cojones? You you can say whatever you want. We're in Miami. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you don't cross the line. You right. Know, are you? No, but but it's interesting because that that character, that superhero character, also has a president, Holly Berry. Right, played the role. She played the role. You know, that Catwoman, I think, was a little bit independent of the actual mythos. Mm. But uh, and she certainly, you know, has the chops. Right. But um, Zoe has the chops, and you know, Catwoman has always been a kind of sexy role. Sure. But certainly, you know, to hear that announcement for me is a big part of this, you know, marked change for DC. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're definitely going in a, a specific direction now mm-hmm. with their IP. And I'm I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, either way, I think everything we just mentioned is going to make for a heck of a Halloween. Lots of interesting costumes. <laughs> You're going to see a lot of Jokers, a lot of Maleficence, yeah. maybe some Catwomen. Yeah. I don't know if we're ready Sleeping. for Catwomen yet. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Yeah. 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 But so. there are a lot of changes. You said changes. Kanye West. What's up with Kanye? Kanye is going gospel. So what's up with that? We didn't talk about that. No. Yeah. His next Kanye, album is all gospel. All gospel music. Born again Christian now. Really? Is he rapping in it? Like, is there uh, such a thing as gospel rap? There probably is. People right? have heard cuts. I haven't heard any cuts yet, but I, people heard cuts. I'd be so. I'm fascinated, actually. And it's funny because we were saying uh, off the mic that he is sort of a master of publicity, so to speak. So yeah, he's, every genre. Yeah. I mean, is he not going to, is there, I mean, of course he had Jesus walks and, you know, he's always he's kind of. He's had a religious theme. In tu- a lot yeah, of touched his, on right, a lot, right. a lot of the these Yeezus themes. The tour, I guess, which. Well, that's, that was, that's toting the line. Maybe you know, that's what kind of, maybe he was humbled by that experience and realized, well, maybe I need to. Really do it. step back from that. <laughs> you know, not make any assumptions like the Beatles. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that was a death knell. No. But, um, but yeah, so gospel album and, you know, he's been doing these sunday sessions really yeah for the past i want to say two months hmm. but maybe it was all build up you know no one knew he was going to come out with the gospel album they're like why is he doing these sunday sessions man he certainly you know is a master at this whole you know playing the publicity and dropping little hints that you know people just have no understanding until it all comes into you know fruition it's like I don't remember those posters. They were like little dots. Mm. And you stare at it. And then slowly but surely. An image kind of, yeah. An image comes out. Right. So, you know, master and number one rapper in, you know, money from last year. The most successful financially last year, right? Uh, Yeah, that's right. I mean, of course, it wasn't all just from from music. Uh, Clothing, his clothing line is just done. You know, phenomenally well the shoes so it's a collaboration with Adidas so it's a combination of a lot of different things but he's, and the Kardashians uh, yeah, but, yeah come on you gotta admit that's <laughs> that a pretty that strong a little bit PR boost in your corner yeah. when you can turn to one of the K's uh, look uh, Travis Scott uh, very talented you know Travis Scott is very talented but um, I'm sure you know being with Kylie Jenner did not hurt at all no it never does. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but certainly, um, you know, to hear that he's going to come out with an all gospel album, that's I'm fascinated. A, I, I want to listen to that. A marked change, huh? Yeah. I am. I am fascinated to see Ye's take on the gospel. That's the background I come from. 
actually. Yeah? Yeah, like, uh, you know, my mom was trained by one of the biggest, Maddie Moss Clark. Wow. Uh, grew up with the Clark sisters, you know. Debbie Winans directed her wedding. So a lot of these gospel people are very much in my background. Hmm. So I want to see if Kanye comes with it. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting journey for him. Reinventing himself yet again. Which is so many times. Something that I think another very successful artist has been able to do, at least, you know, in previous, is Madonna, who was also able to reinvent herself, uh, you know, going from the material girl to then this sort of very pro sort of catholic very remember she went into oh yeah she yeah she really went in on it and then it was more eastern religions and philosophies and then she kind of evolved from there into something else but always kind of knowing when the trends when to set a trend Mm -hmm. when to follow a trend and when to turn a trend on its head yeah yeah speaking of trends someone that turns things on their head and transforms will smith big willie just had a film come out Gemini Man did not do well, unfortunately. (sighs) Ang Lee. Ang. Yes. I love Ang Lee. Great filmmaker. But sometimes... Tiger. Yeah. Come on. You broke back mountain. Broke back. Man. Life of Pi. That's, you know, one of one of the great auteurs. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, this one didn't hit uh, the way that they had expected. A, a film that's been in a gestation. For what, I think they've been developing this project for, for almost a decade, trying to get it on the big screen. And they finally got it there, and it just it didn't hit. It, he hasn't done well with, you know, these sort of... It's not It's not a sci-fi movie, is it? It's it it more, is a sci-fi, yeah. It's, is, is it a sci-fi movie? It is movie, sci-fi. Is it? You know, it's like, I guess, a, a younger clone version of Will Smith, and he's, like, dealing with himself. So it's like what Will Smith looks circa Bad Boys for Life versus what he looked on The Fresh Prince, which that technology, say, worked really interesting, you know, similar to what they did in The Irishman. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was shot at a very high frame rate. It's a new technology that, that he continues to push that apparently took some audiences out of the story because it was too oh. crystal clear. <laughs> and apparently that, that I can kind of just, people didn't weren't feeling it. Yeah, but this, this genre, I think, for Ang Lee, because, you know, Hulk, which I, I, I didn't hate. I actually liked the Hulk. Uh... But you know, if Hulk now, you know Gemini. So yeah, let's maybe see. it's not Ang Lee's best uh, genre. Right. So he may, yeah, he may have to go back to more of the, you know, the, the human stories, like more of a broke back type scenario. Maybe just kind of really focus on the human elements, as opposed to maybe doing bigger superhero sci-fi kind of things. But I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not his manager, but let's see where where he takes his career. Crouching from here. Tiger had yeah. some of those elements. Oh yeah, but it was more human. It was a, a human story. It yeah, was a it human was, story. you could really audiences all over the world connected with it, and it was great. You know, it was nominated for a bunch of stuff, so it really it really hit its mark. So he's he's one of the great ones, and I think he'll be back with something interesting for sure. Yeah, but this is also a great segue for our next podcast next Who's on week. Deck? You gotta the pull something out of the incomparable. Hat? Prashant Shah. Prashant Shah, yes. Who started in the tech industry. Right. And segued into the content industry. Right. He was a stand-up comic at one point. Did he ever tell you that? No. Apparently, yeah, he was. He's uh, And he's a longtime supporter of our Miami Media and Film Market. That's where the interview was recorded. Uh, Kevin did a great job there. He was one of the original, let's say, interviewees at the conference. And, and not just that. I think he helped in the genesis 
of the Miami Media and Film Market. Yes, we're going to have our co-founder, Patty Arias, on to talk a little bit about how that happened as well. That'd be our, awesome. In our outro next week. Yeah. So she'll kind of give us the the story behind the story. Yeah. And, it just, and this is just a little precursor to the interview. But what's really cool is Prashant talks about how, you know, he's been on the forefront of a lot of the different, the technological revolution and a lot of the big techno- technology uh, changes, not only in the industry, but in general. And he saw content as being one of the big jump off points right. and the next evolution of the industry. And that's how he really got into it. And, you know, you look at what's happening now. He was a man that was really ahead of his time. And you're yeah. going to hear a lot about uh, you're going to hear a lot about that in the interview. Oh, so. yeah. Big time international producers worked in Bollywood, worked in Hollywood. Actually, his company, I think, is called Hollywood Bollywood. His daughter, Emily Shaw, is starring in his next film as well. She's lovely and talented. We got to see her at the conference. So a lot of a lot of great talent in the family. The Indian yeah. Zoe Kravitz. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. I like Emily a lot. She's she's really cool. And she uh, she participated as well this year. And we're we're excited for the whole family. They're they're all doing they're all work together. Even uh, Prashant's wife. Also, they all yeah. kind of work as a clique. And it's it's great to see that. Yeah. A family affair. I'm trying to get my kids into it. To be a, you know, they went on their first casting the other day. I don't usually share personal stuff like that, but I have to say this. Yeah. They they went on a, a Carter's casting call. Oh. All three. Oh, wow. Yes. The three-month-old, the three-year-old, and the six-year-old. Got them all in. One huh. shot. Oh. So let's see what happens. We're, we're waiting for the call. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool about going back to Milan, you know, because that's my, you know, my old industry. Right. So my old stomping grounds. That's a great industry, man. Yeah, so. the modeling industry. Yeah, it's 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 a business, and uh, particularly in Miami, you have such a history here. Yeah, with, with the modeling scenes. So. That was my segue: modeling, then to acting, and then behind the camera. Right. So, yep. Making moves. Yeah, you like, maybe you can be like the Smith family. Maybe that'd be great. <laughs> They're all there. Everybody. <laughs> Every single person. Yes. Oh, and this is the last thing: Jada Pinkett Smith. She just moved to William Morris. Endeavor. Oh, she moved agencies? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I remember because she's multi-talented. Yeah. People, you know, you can't sleep on, on, on Jada. Don't her and her daughter have like the hottest show on Facebook? The hottest yeah. show on Facebook. That's right. It's their biggest show. Her, she's had $4.5 billion total in box office of the movies that she's been in. Wow. Yeah. So she's a big, you know, TV, film, talk show. Sure. She's multi-hyphenated. Doing it. Especially now that her husband's slacking off at the box office. She's going to have to pull. <laughs> Come pull, on, Will. Pull some of the family weight. <laughs> Come on, Will. It's not It's not cheap to maintain that lifestyle, the Smith family lifestyle. <laughs> he has a few things coming out, though, man. So, oh, no, know, he's great. He's, and he's Aladdin a, made a ton of, not the ton, least. Of, ton of money. What we got coming out next year? Bad Boys for Life. Ooh. What? Woo-hoo! You, you kind of sounded like Will there. woo <laughs> well, he just had Aladdin. That was a smash too. That was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, but yeah, we, we're very excited. Maybe we'll get him on. We got to get Will. Come on, we got to get him for bad. Will, 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 Will. We're calling you. We will will him into existence. There you go. Going with the puns again. <laughs> All so. right. So this was fun. This was exciting. Uh, again, I am your co-host, JL Martinez. And you have Kevin Sharpley. Yes, and this is Screen Heat Miami. We will see you next week. See you then.